Good morning. So today's text, the gospel from John 17, verses 16 to 19, uh, give me so much to think about. And I'm sure for you also, uh, I've tried to really focus on what's the pearl, what's the kernel that I can part, uh, give to you this day. And I think it is, I want to give you a gift and it's a gift that Jesus gives to us. And it's the gift of no fear. I want this to be a new season as we leave Easter and begin Pentecost next week, uh, where you are gifted and you are giving. I feel like today I'm standing on the shoulders of all the lay pastors who spoke before me. I'm humbled uh, by going last, but I'm not afraid. My gift is no fear. I, uh, I know it will surprise many of you to hear this, but as a um, baby and toddler and preschooler, uh, I had a lot of uh, difficulty speaking based on some early trauma and uh, even became a selective mute during nursery school. Um, but that's a tale for Pastor Dan's website later. So today's text, the Gospel of John chapter 17, Jesus's prayer before leaving. And remember, it takes place uh, ahead of his arrest and uh, troubles and death and resurrection. But um, it's definitely where he's preparing the disciples for his leaving the planet. And usually when a person is leaving, my takeaway was that they would get a goodbye gift. What I noticed about today's text is that Jesus in this prayer for his disciples or high priestly prayer decides to leave us with many, many gifts. And at this point, we have, we're left and we're tasked with going into the unknown. We're in a new territory. It's a new landscape for us, uncharted territory in many ways. But we will be protected and we will be provided for. And as the, the gospel tells us, we'll find complete joy. I feel like this idea of going into uncharted territory has been the same for all of Jesus's followers for more than 3000 years. And so we think everything's so hard now and, and so scary, but I'm sure they did too. And we know that they su suffered greatly for the gospel. So being in uncharted territory isn't new. I also heard within this text, a real focus on unity and, and that resonates with things we've heard in the last six weeks as well. It says, we know, um, what to do because Jesus taught us. And remember, he's only doing what he sees his father doing. And he has died and risen for us. So this big gift we're getting is a gift of both confidence and hope. I studied a couple commentaries to get ready for today. And one was um, a Lutheran um, seminarian. And um, he said that as Easter people, looking at this text, we're encouraged not to dwell in feelings of being abandoned or not to dwell on feelings of abandonment or despair, but to hope in the assurance of Jesus's continuing presence now that the work for which he was sent has been accomplished. And for 
4 says, I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do, as he's talking about his father. And so there's, um, there's a, we're going to be alone, but we're not going to be alone thing that goes through this uh, whole text for me. And so I really wanted to focus on what are some of these gifts that, that Jesus is leaving us with uh, both back then and today. Uh, some of the gifts that the commentaries talked about were um, first, if you go through the text, you see like um, this idea of to whom do we belong or whose are we? And so if we focus on the gift of our identity, I think that's a really great starting point. And then from there, as the chapter 17 continues, I hear in it that we're able to know the father's name. And when we know the father's name, we know all about the father and the son because God's character is Jesus's character and all of that loving and giving and protecting and defending is there because we know the father's name and what that means. And finally, we know because we know the word. We know that he has given us scripture, but we also know the word made flesh in Jesus. Um, so in all that, we're given these gifts. And I would like you to consider that maybe the last gift we get is that we're now gifted and being gifted to the world. We're being sent out. So for many weeks now, I've been thinking about one of um, Pastor Karen's favorite texts, which is also one of mine, Luke chapter 12, verse 32, where uh, Jesus says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So we're being given this gift of the kingdom and we are not to fear. We've been gifted with all that we need. And then our gift in response as disciples is to try to turn our lives around and turn into both humility and servanthood. This is no easy task. I think about next, the um, for me, how do I learn about being both a servant and a humble servant? What's that servant leadership that we're being asked to um, imitate? And of course, Christ is our best example. Um, but in my world, I've been thinking and had a lot of time in the last 15 months to think about um, the great crowd of, cloud of witnesses that the writer of Hebrews talks about. And so if you would indulge me today, I wanted to talk a little bit from my own testimony about my German grandfather, my Opa Hans, and my great, great Uncle William that I'll just call Uncle William. And, and sort of think about how I'm standing on their shoulders as, as I try to go forward. So um, in these stories, which I will include uh, a bit of my own personal testimony, I just want you to hear throughout that, that we will be protected and our joy will be complete. About uh, 32 years ago, I started teaching and um, this time of year um, at the very end of my semester in um, just about 10, day, 10 or 
two weeks, 10 days or two weeks time, I'll be done. But, uh, you know, so right now it's like a lot of fun, but um, 32 years of teaching, the last 22 uh, being a teacher of teachers. And many people have asked me like, how are you doing it? And how do you keep on doing it? And, and why did you decide to become a teacher? As I reflect on that, it makes me um, want to uh, think back about like, well, what, what did lead to my teaching? Some of you have heard this, some of you have not, but um, it leads to this having uh, no fear. So in um, way back, <laughs> about 38 years ago, I graduated from college and uh, had that job um, that I've told you a little bit about before where I was working at the United States Department of Justice. And we were uh, in the criminal section. And so that we had um, criminal prosecutions all over the country, uh, about 80% were police brutality and the rest of them were um, either modern forms of slavery or racial violence. So it was work where um, bad things had happened. And so as the United States uh, government, you know, we went in and uh, prosecuted these criminal cases. And I worked as a paralegal specialist. I knew I didn't want to go to law school. I was working as a paralegal and in my mid twenties. And so I went through a big discernment process about what I should do as my vocation. And I met with spiritual directors. I did lots of uh, visioning work and, and uh, kept coming up with ideas and then would put them away. And uh, at one point I thought I would go to seminary and then I thought I would go to seminary and law school. And so anyway, people are like, wait, how did you end up being a teacher? So uh, this is where the no fear part comes in. I uh, had a case for the United States Department of Justice, and it was in Allegan County in Michigan in the western part of the state. And we um, were coming in to help uh, prosecute a, a very large number of defendants who'd been part of a religious cult. And they believed in Old Testament principles about spare the rod, spoil the child, and unfortunately had created like a uh, armed concentration camp in the woods and um, a 12-year-old boy was um, killed for trying to run away. And so um, we had to work on that case. And while I was there, I um, was assigned to try to get the brothers and uh, other children of the cult to testify against their leaders. And they'd been told that anybody um, white was of the devil as was anybody of the government. And so um, it was kind of a hard task, but over time I was able to get the twin brothers of the victim to um, befriend me and the other kids followed along. I taught them about a bunch of games and then I taught them how to read. And uh, they, they were actually the ones that led me to teaching because they said, we really think you would be a good teacher. And I came back from that six week trial really transformed and, and knowing what I was supposed to do with the rest of my life. I feel like my, um, my courage was built over time and, and over struggle. 
And I um, just wanted to mention briefly about um, my, my opa, um, Hans, who was a social worker and a director of a Y in Germany, um, both before and during World War II, and then after um, went into to city government and leadership. And he was part of that confessing church of Lutherans in Germany. And so my mom, having been um, a teenager during the war, got to watch the courage of my opa. Um, I never got to meet him, but I feel like through her stories, I learned a whole, whole lot. And uh, one thing that I really resonate with is that she was taught by him that when she was supposed to um, give uh, greetings and, and allegiance to um, Adolf Hitler, her dad taught her to just hold up her hand and and say, my dog can jump this high. And she would say that in German rather than saying the the Nazi salute. So that was really empowering. And she told me that, um, you know, he was arrested when she was a teenager because they were operating um, printing presses in their house and they had this elaborate um, scheme of hiding things in the wall and um, making sure that if um, soldiers or uh, Gestapo came that they had signals and knocking signals and things where she would hide things so that they could continue to do that, that hard and courageous work. Um, and then finally, um, I feel like I rest on the shoulders of um, my great, great uncle, my grandfather's great grandfather's brother and the work that he did as um, just an amazing philanthropist and, and leader. He um, suffered a very hard accident when he was 15 and had to use a cane or a crutch for the rest of his life, but he didn't let that stop him and went on to um, be really, really powerful in terms of um, doing good deeds. And he served as mayor of Minneapolis and he ran for governor of Minnesota. And when he was in Minneapolis, um, he founded a school for disabled children and he set up a whole wing um, of the hospital that's now part of University of um, Minnesota's hospital and a whole lot of downtown Minneapolis was gifted um, because of my grand, my great uncle. And I just think like the fact that he felt like he couldn't have kids because of his disability, he wanted to go on and do what he could and really be a servant leader. So those examples um, inform me to this day. And I um, feel like that it's hard to be scared when I see everywhere how empowered we are because of our faith in Christ Jesus. And to go back to um, our text and to the, the Luke text, we're supposed to all be in one flock. And, and as um, Jesus says in John, no one is gonna be lost, that we're gonna be both provided for and protected. We are not to have fear that we have a shepherd who would leave the 99 for just the one. And in the John text today, Jesus even sees Judas's betrayal in light of that big picture where he says, no one you know, is gonna be lost. 
I wanted to conclude with just a couple of things um, to kind of empower you to go on and, and figure out what your takeaway is from this. I have on a magnet on, our, on my refrigerator, the Chinese saying um, about the journey of a thousand miles begins with but a single step to do the hard stuff while it's easy, do great things while they're small, or I'd say do great things while you're younger and, and more fearless, do the difficult things later in life. I reflect a lot on my last five years, our family has had a lot of financial and health challenges. Um, as you know, you know, we're coming up on the five year anniversary of my first surgery and each time it would take a year to recover. So I do know what it's like to um, have to go through some difficulties. I, I feel like I lean on my uncle William um, and he's my sort of invisible crutch or cane as I carry on. I, my friend Nikki says that she thinks if I lean in anymore into prayers and um, discipleship that I'm gonna fall over, but I'm gonna keep on leaning um, for the time that we have left because we don't know, you know what we have left, but we know we have time to serve God while we are here. I feel like this text again is all about giving and how we can continue to live into that gift that our focus needs to be on our identity as, and our belonging as Christ followers that we know that um, the father's character is a good, good father, that we need to focus on both the word, meaning the scripture and the word made flesh, Jesus. And the commentary, commentary that I read talked about that in this um, text for today, giving and gifts are mentioned nine times and more than 75 times in John's gospel alone. So that pretty much lets you know how important it is. I wanted to leave you with just that key kind of question that we ask every week. Do you hear God saying something to you about being sent? Where will you be sent in the world next? Where will I be sent in the world next? Alan and I, are, uh, my husband, are contemplating that as we think about what's this next season look like for us. What does your particular spiritual landscape look like? And with whom are you being called to travel? Will you focus on how protected you are and provided, you, pro provided for you are? And just know that you need to do one single step to start your journey. I wish you a happy Easter and look out Pentecost because here comes the Holy Spirit, praise God. Thank you again. Amen.